Thanks for joining me here at the Psycho Podcast, where we talk about all things psychology and human sexuality. I'm your host, Margot Underwood, and this is a place where we break stigmas and bust hymens at the core. I want to bring some resources to the light for people who are exploring their sexualities and some more complicated topics um, surrounding them. Just want this to be a safe place for anyone and everyone to come stimulate the conversations that are so very much needed in today's world. Thank you for being a supporter. And if you want to find out more, go to thepsychho.com. Okay, you guys, welcome back to another episode at the Psycho Podcast. I'm your host, Marco Underwood, and I brought on a really special guest today to talk about religion and sexuality. But this is going to be a four-part series because this is such a loaded subject. We broke it up. So this episode is part one, and we are covering my guest, Dr. Daryl Ray, and all of the different projects that he started, why he started these projects, and kind of how religion wiggles its way into our into our brains with on unconscious and on subconscious levels. And what that spread kind of looks like, the purpose behind the religion coming into our lives. So Please welcome our guest, Dr. Daryl Ray. He is the author of The God Virus and Sex and God. We're going to go over a little bit about what those books are about. He also is the founder of recoveringfromreligion.org as well as seculartherapy.org. Um, and we're going to go into why he started those and what those operations are all about. Dr. Ray also started a podcast called the Secular Sexuality Podcast. So if you wanted to find more topics on sexuality, that is definitely the place to go. So let's go ahead and jump into tonight's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. I know that you're a busy guy and um, I'm really excited to hear about your journey to where you've gotten today and the role and purpose of all of these projects you've started so let's uh, all welcome Dr. Daryl Ray. <laughs> Thanks, Margo. Glad to be here today. I'm looking forward to yeah. talking to you. I know, me too. This is some really interesting stuff. I've already brought it up with a few um, people who are like, oh, man, I'm going to skip right to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So uh, <laughs> We'll try to make it sexy enough. <laughs> oh, Oh, this information comes with all the, all of it. So um, I want to start off with telling our listeners a little bit about your history and uh, why you decided to focus on um, religion and sexuality. 
Well, uh, well, that could be volumes, but okay, I'll I'll try and make it, I'll keep it somewhat short. I was I was born and raised in a semi fundamentalist family. They weren't nuts, but you know, I, we were praying every day and that sort of stuff. We went to church generally about three times a week. I was in youth group. My parents actually became missionaries when when they retired. My dad always thought he should be a missionary, and then when he retired, he became a missionary. So that's how dedicated and religious my parents were. Now, like I said, they weren't crazy. Uh, in fact, they became quite liberal Christians by the end of their lives. The, the older they got, the more liberal they became, which I, I thought was great. And I got along mm -hmm. with them. I'm the oldest in the family. Um, me and my next brother were the ones that pretty much took care of my parents as they uh, aged and you know got ill. And both are now uh, deceased, but great parents. I had a good childhood. I, I cannot complain. Religion did not traumatize me. I wish I had a whole lot of Sunday mornings back. I could have gone fishing more, you know, I could have had more fun, but that wasn't in the cards for my family. My grandparents were super religious. They even had a grandfather that was a country church preacher for 45 years, and we would have to go to his farm. Uh, he lived in the middle of Missouri, You'd drive four hours to get there and spend the weekend. And then we have to waste a whole Sunday morning on this beautiful farm going to a damn church. And listening to my grandfather preach a Republican sermon. I never heard anything that didn't refer to something you would call Republican sermon. Uh, in all the years that he died at the ripe old age of 99 years and one month. So that's a lot of years to listen to Republican wow. sermons. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, but, but I got, I, um, so after a very good childhood, I mean, my, my parents were very active in terms of getting out and taking vacations and going interesting places and and we camped a lot hunted a lot so it was a very robust kind of four boys in the family so you know that kind of dynamic no girls my my, my mother yeah. had to go out and adopt a girl in order to get a girl in the family wow <laughs> and she's a mm. sweet she, my parents were foster parents for 20 years and had over 200 foster children in their home uh this was after i had awesome. left but they were they were a kind and very loving and giving uh, people. My my parents were, and that and I and I got that from them. I've always been I've always been interested in how do I help people. I always hate to see people suffer, and as I was growing up, the lessons I saw that our church gave people, of course, I had knew no better. I mean, I was a normal kid. I was masturbating. I was fantasizing about sex. I was, um, you know, engaging in normal adult adolescent behavior, but I realized it was condemned by my church. Uh, my parents didn't necessarily condemn me for it though. Uh, even though they knew, they didn't condemn me for it. And uh, you know, I used pornography just like all my brothers did. <laughs> I'm the oldest. Mm -hmm. uh, and my, my mom told us we shouldn't have it and made us funny story. My mom caught my youngest brother with his porn stash. Well, he had the best porn stash of all four of us. So she pulled it all out and made us tear them all up and throw them in the trash and burn them. <laughs> oh, you know, okay. Damn it. That was the best porn stash of all four of us. And now we got to get rid of it. Thankfully, she didn't catch the other three guys' porn stash. Oh, my <laughs> didn't gosh. catch mine. <laughs> but we, you know, we shared. We we were very that. generous with each other. And, but the the crazy thing is, my dad had his porn stash in the bottom drawer of his dresser, in his bedroom. So you know, <laughs> and he had good porn. I mean, where did I get my porn? 
So, so we knew it was all a show. My mom right. had my mom had to know my dad had porn. There's no way if we knew it. I'm sure she knew it. So right. Uh, anyway, so all these things come to me. I'm thinking this is this isn't right. And I get and I do I make the mistake a lot of people made at 20 years old. I married the second person I had sex with because we wanted to have sex and we were uh, horny, you know, yeah. and we even prayed about it. You know, we got down on our knees one night and said, hey, dear Lord, bless us now and make us married in your eyes. And then we got in bed and fucked like bunny rabbits. Uh, so, yeah, we weren't married, you know, but God, knew, God you know, we had that fantasy that God was uh, watching us. Approving. You know. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, since then, I've learned a lot of people did that. You know, we they wanted yeah. to have sex, but they couldn't do it outside of marriage. So they, fortunately, we didn't get pregnant or anything. And, um, yeah. but it, it was it, it just thing after thing. Was, this is just not natural. And it gave me this notion by the time I was in graduate school or undergraduate, I got an anthropology degree and a yeah. sociology degree. And I'm I'm reading about the sex lives of, South Polynesian Islanders and thinking, wow, that's not what I learned. <laughs> okay. The sex lives of the Trobrian Islanders. I mean, it's serious. You got to learn that stuff when you're in anthropology. And I realize that there's a lot more ways to look at sex than Christian sex, which is actually uh -huh. pretty, pretty perverted. And uh, that led me down the, that led me down some of the path, but I still wanted to be religious. I still wanted to help people. And it never occurred to me to be a psychologist. So I went the way of the ministry. I, I went to a seminary, a very liberal seminary, by the way. I bet half the people were gay there, which mm -hmm. was a shock to me. How can you be gay and be in seminary? Uh, being mm. conservative, raised in Kansas, you know, 20-year-old, 22-year-old at the time. And mm -hmm. by the end of two years, I realized it's pretty much all bullshit. Um, I'm not going to be a minister. I did preach for a while. I did I did some substitute preaching. I was, I was in a very liberal Presbyterian church, and they asked me if I'd preach, and they liked my preaching. So then a word got out I could preach. So I got asked to go substitute preach, and I'd pay you fifty bucks. This is nineteen eighty three or eighty four. Pay fifty mm -hmm. bucks to drive a hundred miles and preach in a little tiny church with twenty people in the room. <laughs> wow. But I have the singular distinction, Margot, of never having been asked to come back and preach a second time. Because my really? liberal, my, oh, my sermons are way too liberal. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mention Jesus one time, not once. <laughs> so, That's cool. That's a unique sermon. Yeah, very. It was. Those were hard sermons to preach. I mean, how do you yeah. preach a whole sermon around no Jesus? Yeah. Anyway, Did, my, was that your goal? No, my goal was not to. I didn't want to go back into that bullshit stuff. So I wanted to take all the good stuff and leave the bad stuff. Well, yeah. they want the bad stuff too. You know, going to hell is a part of what they believe. So um, anyway, but about 10 years, <laughs> 10 years of doing that, I finally got divorced. Um, you know, my first wife was, she's a great woman. We're still friends. We have two kids together and all that's very great. I'm, I, I'm not, I don't have any regrets. Mm-hmm. But she wanted to stay religious. She wanted to stay in church. And I, when I got divorced, I didn't have to do that anymore. I didn't have to play that game anymore. And mm -hmm. uh, so that was when I finally decided, okay, I'm, I'm an atheist or at least an agnostic. And, How uh, old were you? I was 38 when I got divorced. And okay. by 39 or 40, I was 
quietly an atheist. I didn't come out as an atheist until about nineteen, about two thousand two, publicly. Mm-hmm. I was dating Your this family. gal. Well, yeah, there was all that. You you know what the story is. You don't want to mm-hmm. alienate your family and all. It turned out it wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. Good. But I was I was dating a gal, Judy. Tra- in fact, we're still travel companions. We travel over the world together, and mm-hmm. uh, we start dating in two thousand and one. Right after my second divorce, I've been married twice. Never make that mistake again. But I got married twice. Got divorced twice. After the second divorce, I start ma- dating Judy, and we start traveling together. We really travel well together. And uh, one day, Judy says, and I would never admit I was an atheist. I might use the word agnostic once in a while, but I was just very low-key about it because I mm. ran a business. I was owner of my own business, and I had employees, and and I had family lives in close, you know, all those things. I didn't want to fuck it all up, so I just yeah. kept a low-key. And one day, we're on an airplane flying to Ireland, I believe it was, uh, Judy and I, and she says, Daryl, you know, you ought to shit or get off the pot. You know you're an atheist. So, okay, you're right. I'm an atheist. So that at that point, I admitted to her and all my close friends, I'm an atheist. But yeah. I still still kept it low key because I had a business to run. And yeah. and in 2000, and so the next few years, I started studying more deeply uh, notions around religiosity and how you know the evangelical movement has just taken over our country. When you got mm-hmm. the vice president of the whole United States as a fucking evangelical who can't even be in a room with a strange woman. I mean, that's, that's nuts. And yeah. I started asking my questions about, about this. And that led to my book, the God virus. Uh-huh. As I, I tried to figure out how do, how do religions spread? They look like they spread a lot like diseases spread. Yeah. And that's why I named the book, the God virus, because religion <laughs> is a, a virus of the mind. And, uh, it, it parasitizes our our brains. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking a lot here, Margot. I'm I'm sorry. I'm no, just I love going it. On and on and on. I love it. The it's kind of. I mean, were you a little bit worried when you put out that book that people were gonna maybe think the wrong things because you're kind of the the word virus doesn't have the best connotation, <laughs> especially not now, does it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you might notice that. Uh, I actually write I write about it in the in the God virus that viruses. Well, let me come back to that. I won't go there just yet. Let me not get ahead of myself. Well, yes, I was. That's a good question. I was very concerned. I announced to my staff one day that I'm writing this book, and I had a very loyal staff. Staff had been with me eight or eight or ten years, and excellent people, wonderful people. None of them were super religious. Well, one of them was fairly religious, but most of them mm-hmm. were just kind of, wow, you know, and one guy was an atheist. So when I announced on my staff that I'm writing this book, my office manager, who's kind of very, very loosey-goosey religious, her face just turns white. And she said, Daryl, we're going to lose clients over this. Mm. And I said, well, I, I got to write it. I got to do this. Yeah. Well, I thought, yeah, we might lose a few clients, but... Six months later, we'd pretty much lost all our clients. I mean, it was just really? crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, these are Fortune 500 companies. I'm an organizational psychologist. I'm working with Exxon. I'm right. mobile. I'm Blue Cross Blue Shield. You name a big company, and I probably worked with them or one of their subsidiaries over a period of 30 years. I mean, it was my oh, career my as a psychologist. 
And I, I lost all these clients. And it was just, my, my office manager was correct. I, sh I, yeah. I didn't believe I would lose a lot of clients, but I did. I, I pretty much lost my whole business. Thankfully, my book, The God Virus, sold incredibly well, far better than anybody expected, even me. I didn't expect it to sell that well. And that made up for probably 60, 70% of my lost income. And I was able to wow. bridge that until I could actually actually retire. And I'm, I'm technically I'm retired now, even though I'm working about 90 hours a week for recovery oh, from religion and other, other I've things. I've heard that before. <laughs> Uh, but I'm enjoying it. I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. Right. So yeah, the answer to the question was I was afraid I should have I and and it turned out to be a true, true thing. But right. I wouldn't I wouldn't do anything different. Something yeah, it's something you have to do. I a kind of kind of same thing with my podcast and the name of my podcast. People are like, is it going to deter? I'm like, well, it probably is, but the goal is to expose people, you know, and I think it will attract the right people. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and it has, it really has. So good, good. can you tell us a little bit about the, the God virus, just a little bit about, you know, yeah, sure. the main points? Well, I had uh, read Richard Dawkins book, The Selfish Gene back um, years before. I'm not sure when I read it in the 1990s somewhere. It has a whole chapter on mimetics, which talks about genes. Genes propagate through the generations, you know, and the most successful genes are selfish. I mean, that's the mm -hmm. title of the book. So the genes for, you know, whatever, blue eyes or whatever it is, that gene wants to get into the next generation. And so there's a competition. You know, we know about evolution and survival of the fittest. But this is more sophisticated. This is a better understanding almost at the molecular level of what's going on. And it, he came up with this notion, well, you know, ideas work a lot like genes do. Because mm -hmm. you and I are talking right now, and my brain, the ideas in my brain are trying to get out of my brain into your brain and into all your listeners' brains. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to, literally, I'm trying to infect you and all of your listeners with some ideas. Now we think of as infection as bad, of course, that's not necessarily true. I mean, parasites are a bad infection and many viruses act like parasites, but we also know there's good, there's good infections. You know, you want a, an infection of lact lactobacillus in your guts mm -hmm. to help you uh, get nutrients. And, you know, mm -hmm. we know the gut balances based on infections of certain mm -hmm. micro biota in our in our gut so not all infections are bad um, however you don't want to get infected with the covid virus <laughs> because right <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> because it's new to us and our species has never been exposed to it so we're more susceptible to a to a debilitating infection even a fatal infection from it well religions are kind of the same way Religions are ideas that are parasitic uh, in, in, a, in the worst sense of the word, just like a, a Toxoplasmic Gandhi is, is an organism that's parasitic, just mm -hmm. like malaria is a parasitic organism. When they get into us, they don't give a shit about us. All mm -hmm. they want to do is get from me to you. The, the malaria virus wants to get from me to you. Well, for the malaria virus to get to me to you, 
a mosquito has to bite me and take the plasmodium from my blood into its body, then it gestates a while in the in the in, in the mosquito, and then it goes to you and bites you. And when it bites you, it injects just almost like a needle, injects the plasmodium into you, and you get malaria. Well, the mosquito is a vector. What we know in biology is a vector. So a lot of diseases have to have a vector to get from one uh, victim to the next victim. Mm -hmm. Coronavirus does not need a vector. All I have to do is sneeze on you and you will get it directly. Religions use both. They use direct and indirect. Vectors mm -hmm. being indirect. So let's think about Jehovah's Witness comes to your door and knocks on your door. You open the door. From then on, they're trying to sneeze on you to give you their Jehovah's Witness mm -hmm. uh, mind virus. It's a mind virus. Religion is just one kind of mind virus. There's lots of mind viruses. As we're seeing right now, QAnon is a mind virus. Mm -hmm. Racism of all kinds is a mind virus. So mm. I, I'm not just saying it's, it's not just narrow in religion. It's a wide range of viruses. Ideas, yeah. Yeah. I just focused on religion in the God virus. Second thing is, like the mosquito transmits their disease, some religions rely upon ministers, uh, vectors, to transmit the disease. So Job's witnesses don't rely upon ministers as much. They rely upon the knock on your door, direct transmission, whereas mm -hmm. Whereas Catholicism relies upon a vector to transmit the disease, and we call those vectors priests or ministers. Mm -hmm. Baptists use ministers. So there's there's two different ways to get infected. With Baptists, you know, you can talk to your neighbor and they'll convert you, and that's direct. Or you can go to the church or the minister, and the minister can transmit. So if mm -hmm. you understand the how viruses work, how parasites work, then you look at religions or other mind viruses that get in your head. They're going to, they do not care about you. That religion doesn't give a shit about you. All Catholicism wants to do is get from my brain to your brain. All mm -hmm. Baptists want to do is get from my brain to your brain. And there's no demonstrable benefit to these mind viruses except perhaps community. I mean, but we can get community without a mind virus. I don't have to have a be baptized as a Baptist to get community. I don't have to be a a Muslim that prays five times a day to get community. So com people oftentimes, well, religion is a good for you because it brings people together. Yeah, it brings people together to fight other people and kill them because they don't have the same mind virus that you've got. Uh, it does bring community, I'll, I'll guarantee that. So, so yeah, I hope that I, answers a little bit of your question. It does. It's it's a good, I mean, it's definitely a different way of looking at religion. Um, I'm curious, though, because you say it doesn't really bring a lot of good into someone's life. It doesn't really care about you. And I feel like a lot of people would um, think conversely to that and say, well, my, you know, my God cares about me. Sure. Um, or this one person that I was talking to about their religion made it a point that everyone wants to submit to a greater power and relinquish control. And that 
that is their way of like re- like letting control go. Yeah, right. Kind of. What would be the what would be your response to those? Well, I, I think that it's an interesting observation that your friend has, and actually a somewhat mm-hmm. accurate observation. If you look at mm-hmm. every religion, every especially, and this is interesting, especially patriarchal religions, they all preach submission. I mean, Islam, the word Islam means to submit in Arabic. That's the the whole damn religion is named after submission. And okay. if you read the Bible, the same thing. Well, patriarchy tends to put everybody except the patriarch into an infantile position, a childlike position. And look right. at the, the damn New Testament talks about be as a child. Don't think, mm-hmm. don't engage your brain. Well, the whole Quran does the same thing. Most patri- All patriarchal religions that I've studied, and I've probably studied virtually all of them, all want you to be a child. So what mm-hmm. they're saying is don't become an adult. That's the most dangerous thing you can become as an adult. So what mm-hmm. you end up with is people in adult bodies behaving like children, behaving like infants. Mm-hmm. That's that's really what he's saying. I want to go back to being a child with somebody to protect me, a daddy and a mommy to make mm-hmm. all my decisions for me, to tell me what I should do in life. That's what they're doing. They're, they're trying to revert back to an earlier stage psychologically. And you can do that, but it's unhealthy as hell. And it opens you to all sorts of manipulation. Children don't know how to protect themselves from predators. Right. And so you get entire churches being run by a predator who preaches every Sunday to take your money. And you get mm-hmm. a Joel Olstein kind of a phenomenon where mm-hmm. he's a billionaire and you're sitting there thinking, you know, how do I pay the bills this month? Right. <laughs> and you that's, never that's, blame the religion for that. Right. Right. That's, um, it's a phenomena for sure because yeah. like he also followed that statement by saying that it brought him closer to kind of a oneness with everything around him. Uh-huh. Um, so there's some other things that I want to get into. Yeah, well, and- let me just let me just say he, he could smoke pot and get a oneness with everything. He could do a little <laughs> LSD and get a oneness with everything. It's not you don't have to have an invisible friend to do that. I can do it with Santa Claus. I can become an, a right. one with everything with Santa Claus. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Right. No, that was actually, that was a huge point that I, when I responded to him was like, yeah, I have, you know, I've sat in nature before and I've watched the forest breathe around me. Yeah. Um, You know, I felt really connected and I didn't need um, to be, you know, to submit to something, you know, imaginary that this, this social construct that we've created. Yeah. Um, So are you... What would you like for people who want to submit? Like, is that what would you suggest as an alternative for people? Like, who want well, to submit I, I, to I'm, this greater? I'm I'm fond of the. There's a saying, a meme that went around some years ago said, uh, "Rather than be born again, why not just grow up?" Mm-hmm. There's there's so much infantile behavior. And there's so much. Uh, denigrating of adult mature decision making in religion. I mean, if somebody's rational and making rational decisions, 
they're probably not going to be religious. <laughs> it's pretty simple. So mm -hmm. submitting to somebody else as, a, as an infant, as a child, be as a child. The New Testament says this many, many times in many ways. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. You can't keep people infected with your religion if they, if they grow up. It's right. just that simple. Yeah. So it's, it's a difficult thing. I, I, and it's, it's hard to be an adult. It's hard. It's just it hard. Is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just I, so hard. Yeah. And when I see younger people, much younger than me, I'm 70 fucking years old right now. I, and I see them saying, I'm adulting today. I'm saying, well, okay, what are you doing on the other days? <laughs> yeah, I've been adulting right. most of my 70 years. <laughs> I mean, you, you don't have much choice. But what it what what religion promises you is that you don't have to adult. Mm -hmm. You think about that. Be as a child. Do what you're told. The patriarchal system will take care of you. You know that's what yeah. religion tries to tell you. I'm that I'm here me. to say let's let's get with adulting. I think it's a good idea, and you don't have much choice unless you yeah. want somebody else taking all your money and telling you where you you know what your sexuality can be and who you can right. be interact with and who you have to disfellowship from. I mean, all the rules that come with being religious, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. And being a child. Yeah. There's, it, it comes <laughs> with a lot more challenges being an adult, but it comes with a lot more independence and, you know, innovations on <clears throat> own creativities. And I have yeah. found being an adult to be quite fun. Actually. <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> And half of the um, half of the problem that adults oftentimes has is that temptation to want to go back in some way. Yeah. And you got to yeah. learn how to get away from that and start moving forward. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So tell us a little bit about the other book, Sex and God, that I see um, right behind you as well. Right there. Yeah. Where is it? Mm -hmm. Right there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, after writing The God Virus, chapter five of The God Virus was about sex and the God Virus. That was the title of the mm -hmm. of the chapter. I got more feedback and more comments and more emails uh, on that alone, that chapter alone, than all the other chapters put together. Now, the whole damn book's worth reading just to take it from me. I'll just tell you that. But that one chapter seemed to really resonate with a lot of people. And it gave me the idea, maybe I, I've always been interested in sex. I mean, I'm a psychologist, aren't we all? Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's, sex is such a wonderful, interesting, beautiful, complicated, scary thing. It's all of the yeah. above, you know. I wanted to, I, as a psychologist, I had to study it. And I was studying way back in graduate school. I went to graduate school in the 90s and, I mean, I mean, in the 70s and, Dr. Albert Ellis was one of my mentors, and he was like the god of sex, of sex, uh, sexology and sex therapy back then. Now we know a lot more since then than what he was teaching, but I'm I'm in this class of his back in probably nine, 1975 in in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, listening to him talk and. Somebody says, hey, I masturbate eight times a day. And he says, so? And then Alberto says, I know somebody who does it 12 times a day. What's the problem here? And mm -hmm. I, at that moment, I thought, fuck. <laughs> I'm 25 years old. I'm masturbating probably six or seven times a day. 
and he just normalized it for me. Yeah. Uh, so I, and I, I, I started questioning things. Of course, I was questioning things before, but, but I, for example, a funny story. I was 12 years old. My mother walks into my bedroom unannounced. She didn't do that often, but unfortunately she did it that day. And I'm masturbating. I'm jacking off. And uh, she, you know, I'm embarrassed as hell about it because I've got the message. And it's it's wrong somehow. You know, who knows where I got the message yeah. from, from some religion. And she sits down my bed, pats me on the shoulder and says, that's okay, Daryl. You won't do it when you're married. Well, she was wrong on half of that. <laughs> it was okay. Yeah. And I would do it when I'm married. Uh, yeah. many, many married people do is not, not a problem. Uh, and about that time I started realizing that my sexuality belongs to me. It does not belong to my religion. It does not belong to my parents. Nobody tells me how to express my sexuality. Now there's, there's boundaries and there's ethics around sexuality. You have to learn and respect. Mm -hmm. But once you recognize that, and, and I think today I, if I were growing up today, I would be in such a much better position than I was when I was 25 years old in 1975. Mm -hmm. Because I think today we have a privilege in the United States, in, West, in Western, the Western world, of having all this information about human sexuality that was not available in mm -hmm. 1975. And even if it was available, it was on a book in some shelf that I would right. probably never know existed because we couldn't get on the internet. So as of late, uh, so I started writing about, thinking about writing about this. And I, I could tell you, how, you know, massive numbers of stories around sexuality. But the bottom line was, I realized the religion fucks people's sexuality lives, sexual lives up and fucks their sexuality up. So I wanted to address that. And I want to address it directly because, Margot, there's not, and to my knowledge, even to this day, there is not a single book that's ever been written about human sexuality and religion, how the two come mm -hmm. together from a secular perspective. There's mm -hmm. a hell of a lot of Christian books on secular sex mm -hmm. on sexuality, but they don't there's no science in them. There's a bunch of ideological bullshit in them. Right. So what I try to do is say, let's look at a let's look at sexuality and religion the cross-section. There's lots of books on sexuality, don't get me wrong, and there, there's lots of good books, but they, they're they afraid to talk about religion. Read, mm -hmm. I've read hundreds of books on sexuality, and they skirt around religion all the time. They just will not take it on head on, and that's what I wanted to do with uh -huh. Sex and God, and very successfully. I'm very proud of that book. I've written four books in my life, and I would say Sex and God is the pinnacle of my writing career. I, mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'll ever top that because mm -hmm. it challenges something nobody's ever challenged in the history of the world. And that is challenges religions, religious narrative around our sexuality. Mm -hmm. And that's important. So yeah. that's what led me to write the book. And that was the purpose of writing it. I see so many people who, who are not enjoying their sex lives who are scared shitless of their own sexuality, who think their bodies are something dirty and filthy, mm. and who think they should submit their sexuality to somebody else, like a husband or a preacher. And all those things have to be challenged. Yeah. And I wanted to help people get over that shit. Yeah. Hope I, I hope I can swear on this. I, oh, it's okay. Yeah, it's totally okay. <laughs> 
because I am not too hesitant to express myself. Let's put it that yeah, way. no, I love it. I love the passion. Um, why do you feel like people are afraid to address sex and in association with religion? It's or a therapist taboo. in general, because I'm sure this happens like in a you know in a one-on-one talk therapy session, people just kind of divert conversation. Uh, I think there's a massive lack of training for therapists uh-huh. on how to deal with se- human sexuality. Now think about this. If you're a therapist and you're still a believer in some God, Muslim God, Mormon God, Catholic God, you are in some ways still infected with the notions, the memes, mm-hmm. the God viruses of those religions. And now you have somebody, for example, I had a, a Catholic PhD, PhD from actually from Notre Dame University. And you would think Notre Dame's pretty damn good school. PhD from there should be pretty, pretty prestigious, I would think. I mean, I think it probably would be, <laughs> except he's a PhD in psychology. And he said, I can, I keep religion out of my, out of my uh, therapy. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little thought experiment for you here. I want you to imagine a um, 22 year old woman comes into your office. She wants to talk about uh, depression or she's been diagnosed with depression or you diagnose her with, I don't care. Anyway, it's depression. And she drops in the course of the conversation that she's pregnant. She didn't mean to get pregnant. And tomorrow she's going to go to Planned Parenthood to get an abortion. Tell me how you're going to talk with this gal. Uh-huh. And that's the response I got from it. Oh. Uh, just he, too scared to address it? Well, or if he did address it, how would he address it? I think you should not go to Planned Parenthood. I think you should think carefully about whether you should have this unborn child. I mean, Mm -hmm. all this shit's going through his head. Now, the discussion that he and I had afterwards was very revealing because he, there were issues he had never confronted himself and there was ideology that he still bought into. Now, if he wants to have that ideology, that's his business, but Mm -hmm. it is not his business to bring that into the therapeutic relationship. Right. So at that point in time, I realized um, I will never be sending a patient to you. I will never refer anybody to you until you get rid of that ideology that inhabits your head, that God virus that inhabits your head. Right. So there's a lot of therapists out there who who have imbibed the ideology of Baptist church or the Catholic church. And they may not, and there's a whole lot out there that call themselves Christian counselors. Well, Mm -hmm. if I'm an atheist and I go to a counselor and they say, well, part of your problem is you're depressed and you're depressed because you're an atheist, I'm getting the fuck out of there. I I don't want anything to do with that kind of a therapist, but there are a lot of them out there in the the real world. They're poorly trained. And even if they're well-trained, as I'm sure this guy from Notre Dame was well-trained, the training didn't take in certain areas or more importantly, the training never challenged him in certain areas. Because if you're in a Catholic university, they're probably not going to challenge your notions about women's right to autonomy over their own bodies. Because right. that's not that's absolutely against Catholic doctrine. Women do not have autonomy over their own bodies. God does in the form of the priest and the Pope mm. and all these other 
men almost all the time. Pretty much, yes. Yes. I have completely and I have like completely let go of all religion. It never really stuck with me, honestly, as a child. And I feel like going into my education with this kind of a blank slate, mm-hmm. um, which I, I'm actually kind of adverse to religion. And so opening up this topic with you is really, um, it's going to be really good for my career. It's kind of a catalyst for studying different religions because as an aspiring sex therapist, I'm going to be addressing a lot of people who have um, this God virus, so to say. Yep. Right. Right. So. And you're challenging when you start talking to people about their religion and their sexuality, Mm -hmm. you're, you're touching on their identity. And, mm-hmm. and that's, mm-hmm. as a psychologist, you do want to tread carefully there. Absolutely. Because it is among the most deepest things you hold. However, if somebody is experiencing serious issues with their ability to maintain relationships or their ability to be comfortable in their own body, there's probably a point at which they're going to have to examine that identity. If your identity is as an evangelical Christian, then the fact that you masturbate is going to cause massive cognitive dissonance. And that dissonance is going to have to get resolved sooner or later. And if it doesn't get resolved, it probably will lead to depression. It probably will lead to some kind of inappropriate acting out. Something is going to happen. That's why you always joke the person with the most Jesus should be the best behaved. But we don't see that, do we? Ministers getting caught screwing people they shouldn't be screwing. Right. Uh, what's with that? Priests, priests raping young boys. The people with the most Jesus should be the best behaved if their theory works. Right. Well, it doesn't fucking work at all. Yeah. Yeah. What, what happens is you get people behaving inappropriately because they can't resolve the cognitive dissonance. Now, I'm yes. sure you know what cognitive dissonance means. I'm, I'm yes. sure. Your yes, audience yes, may yes. not, but um, yeah. Well, it's it's like saying one thing and doing another, and I feel like that it also goes hand in hand with the mind body connection. When we're not mm, when we're not in agreement, when our minds and our bodies are not in agreement, we're not going to be making proper decisions for ourselves. We're going to be yeah. acting out or it kind of is a snowball effect as um, breaking our boundaries, creating distrust and going down this avalanche of bad decisions, basically. Cognitive Um, distance is holding two contradictory ideas at the same time. Right. And and there's nothing wrong with that. We do that all the time. It's just that when it comes to religion and sexuality, there can be, there's going to be such a clash. It causes other emotional and psychological problems. Mm Mm-hmm. And now I want to hear more about the projects that you um, conceived, um, such as Recovering from Religion and the Secular Therapy Project. So. Okay. Well, um, after I wrote The God Virus, I got all sorts of emails and other communications, even phone calls from people saying, I need help. And mm-hmm. I, I decided to have a little meeting and see if let, letting people talk about their religious issues would be helpful. 11 people showed up to this meeting at an IHOP. I announced it on meetup.com and 
three miles from me, I had a back room of an IHOP uh, reserved and 11 people showed up. And I only, awesome. need, I only knew one of these 11 people. And I asked him two questions. I said, how did religion hurt you? And how have you benefited from leaving? Three hours later, three hours later, the restaurant manager is kicking us out because he's closing that part of the restaurant. And at that moment, and these people were so, they were just crying. I had people crying. Mm -hmm. I had an ex-Mooney. I had an ex-Scientologist. I had an ex-Catholic, an ex-Baptist, an ex-Mormon. All these people are in the same room at the same time talking about their deconversion process, crying and patting each other. These are people who had never met each other. Yeah. And after three hours of that, I realized, and, oh, and nobody got up to go to the bathroom. Three hours and not one person got out of their seat. It was just that intense Wow. And at that moment, I knew there are a lot more people out here than these 11. And mm -hmm. I just announced it on a one or two week notice and got 11 people. Maybe maybe there's something here. Yeah. And at, and then I, I'm going to start an organization and we're going to call it Recover from Religion. I even got meetup.com to give us to, to put that title into their search piece so that we could mm -hmm. be found. And that was 2009. We've celebrated our 11th anniversary now. We have, um, last count, 247 trained, highly trained volunteers. We have 55 groups around the around the globe. Literally, I think we're in seven or eight countries. With we have groups in seven or eight countries. We have right. volunteers answering our hotline and our chat line, our phone lines, from 16 different time zones. <laughs> I mean, we wow. go from Australia to Moscow. Uh, in, of course, most of our volunteers are in North America, but mm -hmm. this this was an effort to try and help people who are dealing with the consequences of leaving any religion. Right. <clears throat> and we we just had for last last night. I was just before I went to bed. I noticed we had a chat line, uh, people, somebody chatting in from Bangladesh. Well, you get your head chopped off if you if you are an atheist in Bangladesh. And he's nervous to talk to us, but he needs to talk to somebody. And so we're we're talking we, we have a safe way to do that, by the way. Mm -hmm. So what what I found it's recovering from religion, I did it with the with the notion that we can there's a lot of emotional, psychological damage that comes from religion. And there's nobody willing to talk about it. Well, we're willing to talk about it. We're willing to give you a spot to come and talk to other people from other religions and realize after even a single meeting, the brainwashing techniques, the indoctrination techniques of the Mormons are exactly the same as the Catholics, are exactly the same as the Baptists. Mm. They're made a little, you know, the Baptists may mix them a little different than the Catholics. The Muslims may mix them different than the Mormons, but... They're all the same. And once you realize that, you realize you have been a victim of a God virus infecting your brain. And I want to help you get out of that. Mm, it's so beautiful. <laughs> well, it's, it's terrifying, too, for these people, like you said, in Bangladesh. Like, he's, you know, probably looking over his shoulder, clearing his history on his Internet, everything. I mean, we advise them to do all that and to use a VPN, a yeah. private network that allows them to, to do that. Yeah. So we get, we have a chat line and you can literally go to recoveringfromreligion.org, hit the chat button and a volunteer on the other end will answer and talk to you. And they're, 
they have been trained very, very closely, very well to talk in a non-judgmental way. Uh, you can still be religious. We don't care. You can still be going to church every Sunday. I don't care. You can talk to us about anything, about mm -hmm. your sexuality, about your religion, about how you were raised, about, you know, whatever it is. And we will then be able to connect you with resources. We'll be able to yeah. connect you with LGBTQ resources if you're if you're gay and you're trying to figure out how to talk to your parents about that. Uh, if you're getting kicked out of your home, you know, because you just told your parents you're an atheist, we'll help you figure that out too. We we don't give any direct aid, but we'll help connect you to organizations that might be able to help you. We even help people get. We, we don't help them directly with asylum. For example, we've helped somebody out of. Uh, some Arab Muslim countries, you know, uh, mm -hmm. get out. We haven't done it directly. We turn them into people that can help us. That's awesome. But um, it's dangerous. It's dangerous yeah. in physical ways in the Muslim world. It's dangerous in psychological ways and maybe physical ways in the Mormon world, in Salt Lake City. I mean, if you're right. a Mormon out in some fundamentalist Mormon church in Utah, you you probably hardly have an eighth grade education and you don't know what's available out there. Uh, so we can help you. If you can find us on the internet, we can, we can probably help. So, and that's a free service that people can just access. We don't charge for any of our services. Right. We have a, a hotline okay. service, a phone, a phone service you can call into. We have thousands of resources to help you connect. And we have local groups that meet, when there's no pandemic going on, we meet in person. Right mm -hmm. now we're meeting by by Zoom and, and actually we're doing very well. We we had a meeting in Sydney, Australia a couple of weeks ago, and they had somebody from Pennsylvania and Japan and Indonesia all in the meeting. That's really from, cool. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Uh, I and love that's that. that's what we're getting a lot with this virtual meeting stuff. We're getting a lot of people from other countries. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Very cool. So the, the second, I'm sorry, do you have another question there? No, no, go ahead. So Recovery Religion is a pretty big operation. We have a great board of directors. Uh, you know, we, we just had our fund drive last week to raise mm -hmm. money to help fund what, all, the, all the programs we have. One of the programs that started in 2012 that's a part of Recovery Religion is the Secular Therapy Project. And that's a project that arose out of the need to help people find therapists that weren't fucking religious. Like right. I told you earlier, that Catholic PhD was applying to become a part of the Secular Therapy Project. And when I gave him that question back, he couldn't answer it. That told me right there, you do not belong in our Secular Therapy Project. A therapist who thinks invisible creatures should be a part of your therapy is pretty bad therapist right there. Yeah. Whether that creature is a unicorn or a God or Zeus, I don't care. They have no business being in the therapeutic relationship. So we're very good about, we have, we have a vetting team of five therapists, all of them very experienced, some PhD level that are looking at every candidate that applies to us. And oh, by the way, if one of your listeners is a is a MSW, if they're a licensed therapist or they're a PhD, I don't care. As long as you're a mental health professional and you're you're licensed, 
apply if you think you qualify. Yeah. You can go on our site, seculartherapy.org, and you can you can look at the requirements. Just hit the button or read the requirements. If you think you re, re, are um, meet our criteria, then apply. We do turn people down who apply because they don't meet our criteria. So we'd, we'd appreciate it if you read our criteria before you apply because save all of us a lot of time. And the purpose of this, Margot, is to have safe therapists that you are not going to say, oh, you need to pray more or maybe you need to go back to church or your, your depression is because you're an atheist. Those are all inappropriate responses. Completely. And, and yet there's so many therapists out there that will tell you that. And there's a lot of therapists that are called Christian counselors. I mean, they're all over the place and they may not have any training at all. They may, there's some Christian counselors, their only training is they've read the damn Bible and they've right. gone to some course that tells you how to use the Bible in, in counseling. There's a lot of those out there and they're being graduated by the thousands right now. But there's also legitimate universities giving PhDs and master's level degrees to people who who are still still think the best ally they've got in the therapeutic relationship is Jesus. Well, if Jesus is sitting in that room with you, you got a problem as a therapist. There's no reason for a Jesus to be in that room. And oh, is it the same Jesus that I worship? You know, if I'm a Catholic right. and you're a Jehovah's Witness, we got two different Jesuses here. If I'm a you know Baptist and you're a Mormon, we got two different Jesuses here that just doesn't belong there. And we guarantee no no therapist in our system. We have 479 registered, vetted, approved therapists. And it's uh, it's real easy to apply to be a therapist. Well, not easy. You have to give us some information. But it's mm -hmm. real easy to apply and be a client. You can get on. You can hit the button. Register as a client. You can even use a fake name. fake e As long as you've got an email to use, we don't care. And then you can search for a therapist, kind of like you would do if you're on a dating site. We actually set it up like Match.com or eHarmony. That's cool. You know, you can search. Nobody knows your phone number or, or your real name or your address. And you can search for anybody within 50 miles of my house. Of course, now with COVID, you can search for people farther. As long as they're mm -hmm. in the same state, you can usually still, uh, a therapist can use their license through what's called telehealth with the with the right. pandemic and all right so that's the secular therapy project we're always looking for more therapists we we've got twenty two thousand clients registered wow. to find 479 uh, therapists right. so we're always needing more therapists yeah well definitely something i'm going to look into once i get licensed um it's a great passion project that you started here and much needed um, yeah we just celebrated that we're nine almost nine years old on the secular therapy project and uh, awesome. it's been growing I, i've got a graph i showed the graph's just going up like that and has been for most of the nine years so we're growing it's really amazing. rapidly but there's yeah. a lot of need for it out there mm -hmm. did we cover all that you wanted to ask about there yeah, the we projects? did um because i was going to ask you know what resources and how people get in touch with you. But I think just going to recoveringfromreligion.com answers dot, both of no, those questions. Dot, dot org. Dot org. Dot org. Recoveringfromreligion.org. Recovering and seculartherapy.org. 
either one of those okay. will get tons of information. If people need to contact me directly, they can get me just by going to contact us page there. Mm -hmm. the messages will get our executive director will forward it on to me. Our executive director is Gay, uh, Gail Jordan, and she's been our director for five years now. Does an awesome job. Great board of directors with all sorts of skills. And like I said, 247, something like that, volunteers, all right. just passionate about what, what we're doing. Mm, I know. That and makes it, my heart swell. If somebody wants to volunteer, go to the volunteer button on our page and hit it. You'll go through a whole procedure. We don't let anybody touch our clients unless you've been through our training. And our training is very good. In fact, I would suggest that what you learn in the first year of graduate school as a counselor, basically that's what we teach. That's awesome. We're not therapists. We're not counselors. We're peer support. But we're peer mm -hmm. support that has good training behind them. We don't want anybody getting, right. uh, getting half-assed kind of responses. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna look into that. Um, okay, well, and then let's just list off, I guess, because you're on Twitter and Facebook. So, yep, yep. Uh, go ahead and give those handles. Well, on Twitter at uh, d e r d r a y one three two, so you can follow me there. And I do try to put a lot of stuff up. If you go to, um, well, I'm I'm Daryl Ray on Facebook, uh, but I've got five thousand of my closest friends there. So you're probably not going to get to, you can follow me, but you, I'm not going to friend you probably. I have right. a policy. I only friend people if I have actually interacted with them or met them. Same. So you, you count now, Margo. <laughs> oh, <yay. laughs> uh, and those are two of the main ways to get old me. I recovered from religion though, has presence on Instagram and Twitter and whatever else, uh, you know, there's, there's all right. sorts of things. We, find it. we try to get on, on everybody. Uh, Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think this covers everything. Okay. And um, yeah, so I'm excited I to. Would, I would tell people go out and find either one of these books, God yes. Virus or Sex and God. And I think you'll find your sex life much better as a result, as well as your brain viruses. You'll get disinfected. Yeah. And your personal, you know, interpersonal interactions mm -hmm. will probably skyrocket. Yep. Yep. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. This is a part one of a part four series. Um, so stay tuned for part two, which is going to be religion and sexuality. How religion influences our sexuality on the conscious and subconscious levels. If you want updates on upcoming episodes, you can go to my website, thepsycho.com. Follow my social medias there. Uh, music is Face In It by Fallen for Autumn on Instagram. It is F A L L E N F O R A U T U M N. Go give her some love. And I hope to see you guys next time. Peace. Your face.